Hello, this is Gray McKenzie. And before we get started with today's interview, I want to quickly thank our sponsor for this episode, Text Expander. You know I'm all about standardizing processes and working efficiently. Well, Text Expander helps agency teams do both. From an efficiency perspective, Text Expander saves me personally a couple of hours worth of typing each month. And when you magnify that across our growing team, the time saving adds up. And this is a cool part that I didn't anticipate when I first started using text expansion tools seven or eight years ago. Text Expander keeps our messaging consistently on point with the right spelling, language, and formatting. So we've been able to eliminate a ton of simple mistakes and copy-paste mix-ups by rolling out Text Expander across the team. I've actually got a video that'll be up on our YouTube shortly with a bunch of my favorite use cases. But for now, I want you to head to textexpander.com slash podcast. And you get to lock in a 20% year one discount for all Agency Journey listeners. Again, thanks to Text Expander both for their sponsorship and the impact they've had on our team. Now, let's get to today's interview. Hey, welcome back to Agency Journey. I'm your host, Gray McKenzie. And this week on the podcast, I've got the privilege of bringing on Galen Lowe, who is the co-founder of the Digital Project Manager. Galen, I actually want you, you wrote out uh, some details for me to share. But I feel like sometimes people get lost when you write this or, or read the script on what DPM is. Can you walk through the digital project manager as a, kind of the business model? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. First of all, thanks for having me on the show. I'm super excited about this. Uh, let me tell these folks a bit about the digital project manager. So what we are, we're a knowledge sharing community and we're geared towards helping digital professionals get skilled, get confident and get connected so that we can elevate the value of responsible project management in a digital world. So we've been at it since like 2011. And today we run a membership based community with over a thousand members from around the world and all different branches of digital, all types of different digital agencies, all types of um, like private sector businesses. And uh, it's just a place for people to get together, share tips, share knowledge, get smart together, build their confidence together. Um, we also run a seven-week certification course called Mastering Digital Project Management, which is directed at small agencies looking to give their teams some practical training in how to deliver digital projects, whether they are project managers or not. But in a nutshell, yep. I'd say we're just all about sharing experiences. Um, we're all about comparing tactics. We're all about helping one another solve complex challenges together. And we do that through our community, our school, but also our website. We've got also a free weekly newsletter and we've got our own podcast, the DPM podcast. So you can learn more about us at the DPM.com uh, or you can check us out on Instagram at the digital PM. I'm trying to remember we had uh, Ben Aston for any longtime listeners. Um, we had him on the podcast maybe back in 2019, I want to say. Um, and we talked a little bit more about DPM versus ZenPilot. Like, hey, just to kind of clear up what's the distinction between the two. We're both uh, kind of touching project management and agencies. Um, and we can rehash any of that if, if we want to. But um, did you, I don't remember if you guys had DPM.com at the time. How long have you has had dpm.com that's a premium domain it's a premium domain we were watching it for years and years and years um our regular domain is the digital project manager.com which sometimes rolls off the tongue but is a pain to type <laughs> so we were like watching it like a hawk like every night ben ben calls me one night it's like the middle of the night he's like the dpm.com became available. Should I buy it? I was like, why are you even asking me this? <laughs> right? Like, it's like, absolutely. Uh, six characters and it's a .com and it's, and it's us. Uh, so we snagged it and we did the big flip over as soon as we could. Um, and right now it redirects, but. What is, what does it became available mean? Does that mean that it just, someone didn't renew it or you could buy it in like auction or someone put it up for sale? 
<laughs> I believe we bought it, um, but I don't know from whom. Like, I don't know if it was the yeah. owners who were like, listen, we don't need this anymore. Um, right. Or if it was like a, these people didn't pay their bills and now we're going to sell it to somebody else. Right. Like, I, I, I wasn't privy to all that. But I do remember we were watching, there's a couple domains we watched like a hawk because hindsight's always 2020 on these things, right? You yep. register what you can, you know, you realize you're like, I don't want the .ca. We're based in Canada. <laughs> so we're like, oh, like uh, .ca it was, was fine at the time, but we want the .com. We just, can we just have this list right. of things that we're always looking at. So uh, it came available. We also, uh, so the uh, the umbrella company over this, I call it umbrella company. The, the parent company is uh, a media company called Black and White Zebra, uh, which also was a lot of letters to type. And yep. we got bwz.com. We got bwz.com. So you want to check out, check us out and some of the other businesses we run, all the, the other communities we run and the other areas where we share knowledge, bwz.com, uh, which was even more premium. Like that's, that's three characters and a yeah. .com. Oh, that's <laughs> awesome. Good for you guys. Well, surprisingly, I brought you on not to talk about domain registration, but <laughs> what? to dig into um, what people can and should expect from a senior PM. And kind of what, you know, there's a whole conversation around uh, what do PMs do? What makes somebody a senior PM? What are the things that you should look for? You outlined, I think you called it six characteristics to find a unicorn. Um, why don't we start the conversation there and dig into what does this person look, what are the characteristics that we're looking for? And then I'd love to dig into some of the other components of you know, what's the context for this. Like um, some, some of you are thinking about it is a little bit different than other conversations that I've had. <laughs> awesome. Now I'm now I'm stressed. <laughs> but uh, let me lay out the teaser. So let me talk about the six characteristics. So when you're looking for a senior project manager, these are the six characteristics that are my must haves. And they are as follows. And we'll dig in. But uh, the first one is a business mindset. The second one is the ability to present and tell a story. The third one is a proven willingness to learn. And the fourth one is just empathy just being a compassionate, human-centered uh, person. Uh, the fifth is humility and self-awareness. And the last one, which I think will be the juiciest, is paranoia. <laughs> uh, okay, so let's, that obvious question there, you drop the, drop the teaser. <laughs> paranoia sounds, you know, you're going through it like, oh, willing to learn, ability to talk or present, empathy, humility, self-awareness all sounds normal. Paranoia does not make any sense with that list at first glance. <laughs> uh, walk us through why paranoia made the cut. Paranoia is the balancer. It's the one that you will never find on a resume. Uh, I mean, I haven't seen one where it's like, you know what? I'm great <laughs> with people and I'm paranoid <laughs> as heck. <laughs> you know, I never, I've never seen it on a resume, but it's the balancer. It sits along with humility. And I think a lot of people understand that. They're like, okay, humility as in not egotistical, not throwing other people under the bus, um, but, you know, kind of being self-aware and understanding that they are infallible. Paranoia is that understanding that things go wrong, things will go wrong, and the impact of those things going wrong could be catastrophic. Anything could be catastrophic. Walking to school could be catastrophic. You know, like taking the bus could be catastrophic. Getting on a plane could be catastrophic. It's not necessarily this like panic terror, like someone who's like just afraid to do anything. It's this understanding that anything could happen and we need to be able to plan. And we can't just assume that the plan we have in place is absolutely correct and right and won't change um, and isn't uh, sort of under threat from the outside at any given time. I, I mean, this all begs the question of like, how do we interview to find it? But before, let's kind of back up a little bit here. Um, what should people understand if we set the stage for kind of like um, 
what a senior PM even is or the value of project management? Like, what do people get wrong about um, understanding the value of great project managers? That's a big, big question. So I will say, like, in my experience, this is one of the most misunderstood things about what a project manager does. Um, and I think, I think it's because, frankly, I don't think a lot of people have a lot of experience with a great project manager. Like, people just haven't seen it sometimes. And I mean, sorry, project manager, but not every project manager is a good project manager. And definitely not every project manager is ready to be a senior project manager. Um, and then the other thing is, like, I think PMs, I'm speaking as all PMs, but sometimes we speak our own language and sometimes people see things happening, but it's like kind of this invisible value. Um, they understand it's good, but they aren't able to kind of pick it apart. So they don't recognize it when it's right in front of them. You, you hear things, right? It's like, oh yeah, that PM is great. You know, they get it. Uh, people like them. Uh, they're delivering great things. Um, but it's really like this, like, it seems like this game of chance of like, are you going to get a good PM or not? Uh, versus something that you can like actually kind of like wrap your hands around and harness. Um, so here's, here's my take. Cause I, I know your listeners are, are, a lot of them are agency owners or like operators. Um, and I do see this a lot, the sort of hope, but also misunderstanding around project management. And I think it's because here's my theory. My hypothesis is that project management as your agency grows is a little bit out of necessity. You know what I mean? It's like a lot of the owner operators and entrepreneurs that I know, they started by delivering their own projects, right? Like they were the one delivering the projects. They were the one selling it through. Um, and at a certain point, uh, their business scaled and they had to get an extra set of hands to deliver that work. Um, and I think, you know, as much as everybody is sort of uh, appreciative of that so that they can scale and focus on other areas of the business, I feel like it's still this unspoken thing where that project manager, that first project manager is measured um, in two ways. One, it's like, listen, did you do it the way I would have done it? And usually the answer is no. And then the other one is, did it get done? And was it a, was it a disaster? And if the answer is no, then somewhere in between is fine. Um, but I think then you kind of like keep growing and you fast forward and suddenly you've got a team of PMs who kind of got hired to do the thing that like meets expectations, right? It's like, please deliver stuff um, smartly and don't have too much things go wrong, please. But aren't really brought in as like strategic leaders um, and aren't really sort of valued as that. And I hear it all the time from project managers, by the way, they're like, I think people see me as an administrator uh, or like I'm the, I'm the one who stays organized, right? I've got all the spreadsheets, but like I can do more, I can be more strategic, but they're not letting me. Um, and that's the other side of the conversation. And now don't get me wrong, everyone who says that is not the right person to become a senior project manager or to run a business, um, but that's the tension. I think the tension is that as an agency grows, project managers are like become the sort of like necessity. It's a cog in a wheel. Like things need to get done. It's simple, right? Scope, schedule, um, budget, uh, and it just needs to get handled. Um, and I think the, the the really big shock that I see happen um, is when you get to that point in your agency growth and you've got a team of project managers, you've grown beyond you delivering the work, you've grown beyond one project manager, you have multiple, um, but then at some point you're like, listen, I need to like ramp it up on complexity. I need to get the bigger clients, you know, let's, let's hit up the bigger fish. Um, I'm going to hire a senior PM. And then I see a lot of folks, they crack open whatever the job board is and they're looking at the salary expectation and they're like, pardon me, what? Uh, because it's usually that moment where it goes from, you know, probably a five figure number to a six figure number, or maybe a six figure number to a much bigger six figure number. And just that, like, it's this palpable shock that I, I see from people going, what do you mean? 
because this person just like delivers work, right? Um, and I think that is the overall misunderstanding there. The tension is that an agency sometimes grows in a direction where you have helping hands more than you have like partners. And I think my overall thesis here is just that, listen, a good senior project manager is going to be a partner in crime in your business. Um, and that's what you should be looking for. Hmm. So what is, you know, we commonly get, especially um, earlier stage agencies, the question around, like, do I need a project manager? Can my account managers just do project management as a piece of it? Um, which, I, you know, we could go into cases where that makes sense and cases where that doesn't make sense. E either way, you're paying for project management. Um, you know, it's, it's just whether it's bundled into a separate salary that you feel better about or its own salary that uh, you have to get comfortable with at some point. Mm -hmm. um, how do you kind of make the case or what maybe what should this what should for someone to be worth those dollars that you're talking about? Like, what are the things that they should be doing? What does that role look like? Well, I, I think I think what the role looks like is this. Um, and these are things that I don't know if you always see these in a job description, which I think is why this is get just gets tricky. Um, but I would expect someone in that role to be like inspiring and motivating a team. I would expect them to be like developing new ways of working, like just reading the tea leaves and going, this is the right way to do things, or we need to pivot. We need to innovate the way we deliver work. Um, they should be someone who's driving uh, client retention. So I love that you brought up account managers and I want to circle back to that as well. Um, and I think you should be able to expect this person to grow the business. Um, and what I mean is like net new business involved in new business development, pitching, shaping, um, you know, it, 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 it should be something where they are kind of a business partner with a delivery angle. I don't hmm. know if I answered your question though. <laughs> what is what is that? So the last piece is probably the most unusual one. That's a that's a different take. Which so I want to have this conversation. Um, how, what does that look like in practice? Well, I, I mean, I, I'm speaking with a bit of bias in terms of my background. So I was always a bit of a hybrid um, account manager, project manager, and business development person um, because I worked at a lot of sort of boutique agencies and we wore just a lot of hats. Um, but I think the significance is that. Um, I see a lot of agencies sell through business and the stories I hear are that it kind of got sold through without consultation about how viable, feasible, uh, like how like deliverable it actually is. And then the stories I hear on one side, it's like the project managers that say, I just inherited the scope. The account management team sold this through the sales team, sold this through. They didn't ask us. It can't be done. And their job is to like course correct and disappoint clients along the way. And it's a really tough spot to begin with. Um, and where I worked, um, like in various agencies, our philosophy was like, well, let's scope it so that we know, because we were small enough that the risk was so high that if we got it wrong, we're going after like bigger business. And if we get it wrong, it's a lot more expensive than just saying, listen, can you just, and I mean, for me, it was like, can we just spend the evening like scoping this out and going like, what what would we do? Like, how long would these things take? Um, how much would these things cost? Like, what could go wrong? And then like uh, crafting that into like a proposal. So a lot of the times that just happened organically. The consultation was, um, hey, you, one of two PMs, um, could you help shape this deal? Here's what the requirements are. We got this RFP, like, what do you make of it? Um, and just being at the table there really helped us then pitch something that seemed real. So I mean, I think anyone on the other side of the table would tell you, um, you know, you can smell the BS from across that, from across the room um, when it's a 
just a, a story that somebody cooked up and is trying to sell you versus, listen, we did a deep thought on how we would deliver this. And that's part of the value that we're delivering because we know how to deliver it. We've thought through it. We've thought through what can go wrong. And the person who's probably going to be delivering it or at least involved in delivering it is right here. You can talk to them. And I think that was part of the mantra in terms of um, how the PM can be involved with work. And yes, it was an investment because guess what? Every minute that I was spent uh, that I spent doing business development, I wasn't, I didn't have my hand on, on a project. Um, and so, uh, we had to sort of weigh that cost, um, in every organization that I ran, but really it came down to the fact that it's de-risking the things that we're selling and it's actually quite worth it. And then when you get to the point where you win it, because if you, if you get good at pitching then you you know, your success rate is going to be pretty high. You already have the stuff to like start delivering that. You've already had the thought, you've already got people on board, you've already built consensus. So that was, um, it's not. It's one of those things that I, I do see it on, on on job descriptions, but very vaguely, right? It's like, oh, we'd mm. like this person to be involved in, you know, new business development, but it's not always very clear. Um, and I think that I'll circle back on that when we go through the six things. But sometimes it's about that storytelling gear. Um, not that you need to have a salesperson or hire hire a salesperson that is also a PM, but that yep. they can spin a yarn that's going to be compelling in a sales context. Right. So whether it's a paid or unpaid kind of scoping um, situation. And I think there's strong arguments in a lot of these cases for that to be paid, but I realize there's agencies, there's people who are listening where that's still happening unpaid. You're advocating for getting the project management team directly involved in that, not leaving it just on your new business team um, or account management team to go scope and then hand it over afterwards. Is there a, and I, this is probably leading us right back to our six characteristics, like how do we find the people who we feel comfortable taking that project manager and getting them involved in that conversation where they may even be, I think, and maybe you're not, this is, may not be something I might be putting words in your mouth that you'd be always advocating for this. You may not be, but where they would actually be involved in that client conversation uh, as well, or at least available for to answer questions or to, to walk through it. Yeah, I mean, I'm really glad you mentioned. I'm glad you mentioned both things: a paid versus unpaid scoping. Um, which I would say, you know, just to get something sold through, there's like some level of commitment that needs to be shaped. So it might not be the full deck of cards. It might not be this full like we've planned everything to the T, fixed price, waterfall engagement. Um, but at least having that person at the table. And I think the other thing that you had said, which is that um, I, I think the value of a client-facing project manager cannot be understated. Um, and I think I'll get into it, but it's because um, there's a couple of models going on here, right? So on the one hand, uh, a listener might be going, well, listen, just get my project manager to train my sales team so that they have some parameters and guidelines and aren't selling through things recklessly. Fine. Um, but what I'd say is that the people doing the work day over day are learning new things and have new things to say about it. And it's going to be getting updated all the time and it's going to become kind of a time suck. You may as well just have that person there speaking from experience, which honestly, from a sales standpoint, I think is very compelling. It's like, oh, I did this the other day with this brand. Um, and here's how it went. Uh, you know, maybe you're not naming names, but you're actually telling the story of how a project is succeeding and why it's succeeding. And then I think there's another model where it's kind of the opposite. You mentioned it earlier, right? Where it's like, okay, I might not be at that size yet. I might not even be at that size where I think I need a PM. Um, but some of the things that we're talking about here cut both ways. So if you have a strong account manager who is great at telling a story, who is great at new business, who is great at building relationships with your clients, who is great with the team who gets it, um, they may 
ask them, but they may be a good candidate to also get some project management training, become a bit of a hybrid, and then you can scale from there. So like you may actually, um, it may actually be the wrong decision in some cases to be like, we just need a, a new person who is a PM to do the PME stuff. When you have somebody who's great and has and is interested and can kind of be both for a while, and then you just have to measure and understand what that point is in your agency growth, where it needs to be not one person. Yeah. Do you think it's a mistake or is it just a different model? Uh, the agencies who take um, a project manager to basically come in and just make sure that stuff gets out the door on time. They'll never be client facing. Um, it, and they're kind of intentionally building a, a relatively marginalized role of not that they don't value it at all, but hey, your job is, is just to make sure that stuff goes smoothly, gets out the door on time and meets whatever our quality criteria are. And, and honestly, it is, um, you know, in some ways it's the accepted norm. So I wouldn't say that it's a mistake. I would say that you are underutilizing a salary there. Either mm. that person is getting paid like quite uh, like like on the lower end of the scale and yep. and that's what their role is. But I think that needs to be clear, I think, in, in, in the job description. Um, but then I think like there are other ways. So let, let's go with that. Let's be like, OK, this person is fundamentally internally facing. Um, they're not really external, but they are managing the work. Um, but it means a couple of other things, too. It, it means that in some ways they're working with a team, right? This whole notion of like inspiring a team and figuring out new ways of working, like those are also ways of growing your business. So it might not be at, you know, at the pitch. It might not be, you know, glad handing with all your clients and like making new business happen. That can still be accounts and sales for sure. Um, but I think there's other ways to develop your business, which is somebody who's going to be strategic, even if they're not client facing strategic, because they're going to say, Hey, account management team, I found this opportunity for us to do something different here. Either it's like a new scope that's kind of presenting itself and we should probably recommend this to the client and here's why, uh, or listen, the way that we're working, like, you know, client asks for agile. They're not, they're not really able to keep up with us. Like, how about we do this? Like someone who can come with solutions, um, that might actually become your permanent way of working. That could become your, you know, standard operating procedure just by having that conversation. Mm. Um, and then I think just the team, the team thing can't be um, understated. I know that the dynamic in a lot of agencies can vary, but I do think that there's a difference between, oh, that PM who's going to walk by and ask me if it's done yet. And the person who's like, tell me more about what you're doing. How can I help? Like that curiosity and that wanting to learn and wanting to help and being in part of the team. Because I think what happens a lot of the time is you get those roles where, okay, I'm a project manager, but my job is just to make sure things stay on the rails. So I'm just going to sit here in the corner and I'm not part of the team. I'm like a watcher. I'm like watching right. to make sure things get done. And I don't think that's the right mentality. I think PMs are specialists too. Uh, so their specialization is delivering a project and that's a human job. That's a job where you work with people, where you talk to people, where you're helping people and you have to get it. If it's a checklist, especially like, so we are the digital project manager. I'm a bit biased, but especially in the world of digital where you have to know so much and keep up and things change so fast, it's just not enough to have this like checklist that goes, oh, did it get done on the Friday? Yes. Did it get communicated to the client? Yes. Like that's just not enough. And I think if you have those roles, it's worth considering whether or not you could get more out of that role. Again, even if they're not client facing. Right. Let's go back to the six characteristics, because I think that's part of trying to find these people who have the potential to do the kind of stuff that you're talking about here. Um, 
how do you guys screen for this or how should an agency owner who's listening, like, how do I find these people? What are the, you know, anytime that, um, I, I think of like the handy, almost rules of thumb or mm. maybe not rules of thumb, but like the person likely to be this often has this type of background or here's, you know, here's some hidden secret into the market. How, how are you guys finding or identifying these characteristics in job prospects? So I would say there's, there's two angles. Um, one, there's an introspective angle because what I see a lot, and I've been guilty of this when hiring as well, um, sometimes we'll, like at the resume screening stage, uh, let's say it's a net new hire, not internal. Someone's submitted their CV and I'm looking through it and we'll do these things like, ooh, they work for Nestle. Oh, they did that Pizza Hut thing. And like we get enamored by these, you know, sexy brands we haven't even read further to see what they did. They may have been like, you know, they may have been on one call with that client, right? But we kind of interpret it as, oh, I want that client. I want someone who knows how that client works so that they can help me play at the level where we could get a Nestle uh, engagement. You know what I mean? Um, so I think like getting enamored by that, like you kind of need to do that introspection and not fall for it right away. It might be good. It might be real, but that shouldn't be the reason why you ask them for an interview. Um, and same thing with, and okay, I'm someone who has my PMP, so I'm a certified project management professional. Um, and of course we do run like our certification course at the DPM school. Uh, but I would also not like get taken by all those like acronyms after, you know, and I've seen it, um, and I'm not saying it's a bad thing. Um, but what I'm saying is that some folks, just because they came in and it says name, PMP, MBA, whatever else, um, doesn't mean that they should go right to the top of the pile because in my world it doesn't prove some of these characteristics but it might help surface them up to the top because whatever if they they're, they're curious they want to learn they're motivated enough to like get their pmp like it's hard work um, they must care about it but i think those are the things that you need to understand why you're attracted to things on a cv first first and foremost is just not falling for the buzzwords because Let's be real, like the resume game right now, you get by the bots with all the keywords and then you put the things there, like your pitch, right? Your your unique selling proposition um, to get that interview. So those are those are the mechanics at play. Right. The other Once side of it. Oh, go, go ahead. I'll let you keep going because I think you're going to get okay. to my question anyways. Well, okay, cool. I mean, and, and I think like the other side of it is the interview process. Now, I am, I am, so A, I am not a huge fan of asking a bunch of technical questions during an interview. I will spend a couple questions vetting that they are sort of telling the truth about their background and their experience um, and that they kind of know something about project management and aren't lying. But that's not the whole thing. I think the rest of it is kind of like how how they act under pressure, um, how they've dealt with conflict. Um, even like we have a great thread in the forum of just like strange questions to ask uh, to get to the root of it. Um, but uh, I had someone who said, I've got 750 jelly beans in an airplane and I need to get them out. What do I do? And it's kind of these very open-ended scenario-based questions that kind of get into what, how people think, the way people think, not the story of like that they're telling of what they did in the past. Um, and then it's really like asking about some of these things, um, not directly. Hey, are you a humble person or do you throw people under the bus? Like I wouldn't ask that, but there's ways of kind of digging into that. And, you know, tell me about a project that failed. A, you know, you're going to get answers like, well, my team dropped the ball and I fixed everything. And you're like, great. Um, that's not that's not the humble person I'm looking for. Uh, there's questions that you can get that kind of dig into 
their instinct and their kind of core personality and these and these six characteristics. The other thing I'm on the fence about is like the practice assignments, right? I've seen that a lot now. It's like, it's a pretty high bar to get a job these days, I would say, uh, where it's like, you got to give a presentation. Um, one thing we did is we did a take an hour and write a statement of work. And we knew nobody's going to finish it. Um, the brief was imperfect and it was just this homework assignment. And it wasn't even like, in the, in a room or anything. It was just like, time yourself, send it in by this time. Um, and we knew people wouldn't finish it, but it showed us where they put emphasis. So it was like, listen, I'm making these assumptions. There's these risks here um, versus like, oh, like here is like all the activities, but kind of laid out in a way that only I understand, uh, like this jumble or not thinking about the agency and protecting the agency in terms of like contingency or like even having an ample budget or like rushing through things, being like too eager to please. So those types of mini assignments, I think are a good way just to understand the way people's minds work. But it is about people and the way their minds work. And it's about people and the way they interact with other humans that I think are paramount for me. Right. How do you scan for paranoia? <laughs> so um, I'll actually, I'll give, I'll, give an, uh, I'll give an example. And this is at an interview stage. So it's not really quite a, like a resume scan, but at the interview stage, um, uh, I had someone who was just like, um, call me, I'm the client call me and tell me that something's gone wrong on the project. And there's the one layer, which is like, what are they going to say? Um, but the other layer is what are they going to ask? Uh, and I think that's one of the things so it's like, wait a minute. I just want to make sure I understand the assignment before we get going here. Like, are you this, like, have we, where are we at? Like this sort of comprehensive picture of not like I need to deliver this message. And it's like this kind of like isolated thing, but like, how does this fit within the spider web? If I tug on this, like what, what else is it going to pull? And, and where am I? And like, what could go wrong here? Because I think it just, it, 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 it talks more, it speaks more about context. Um, sure. Some people are going to go like, cool, you make your hand a phone and let's do this. And that's fine too. Um, but uh, the test was actually more about like, what are they going to ask me? Because mm. they're like, they're not overconfident about it, which is not necessarily paranoia. Um, but it's kind of like, listen, this, I want to know my bearings and what could go wrong. And I want to have all the information before I go and, and, and do something, which I think is kind of like paranoia light. Um, right. In terms of actually uh, like getting uh, like scanning for paranoia, I, I, I honestly think it's just um, I think it's some of that like risk management angle as well. It's like, OK, well, um, uh, and again, a lot of it's interview. I don't I don't think it's something that shows up in the resume. Again, I've never sure. had it where it's like, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm paranoid. And also, you know, I went to high school uh, at this place. Um, it's not usually there. Uh, but I think it's more about this like uh, understanding what could go wrong. Um, and kind of having this worry. And I think that's the balancer. That's why it sits with humility for me is knowing that, you know, not coming with this bravado. Um, yep. Cause I know it's an interview and like, you know, people are going to be like, trying to be super confident, but actually right. what I'm looking for is that people are like, I'm pretty confident, but I can't be confident about everything because lots can go wrong. Like there's lots of things that could go wrong. Um, there's lots of things I had to think about. Like when they're like, okay, tell me a story of like the toughest uh, like project kickoff you've ever had to, to run. Um, and they'll be like, yeah, I had to worry about this. I'm like, are, 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 are we going to have a location? Like, did I book the meeting room? Um, like those types of things where it's like, it's not, it, it, nothing is simple. Everything is something to kind of be some kind of concerned about, but productively. Right. Right. Um, well, I think that's helpful. Even just running through some of the examples, uh, here's some questions. Here's some of the ways that we screen for it. I think it's helpful as people start to think about, 
how we go hire our next PM or our first PM or wherever they are in the process, their first senior PM or their next senior PM. Mm-hmm. Um, so I appreciate you being willing to run through all of that. Um, the last question that I had for you, Galen, is some of this. Um, so I'm going to throw it to you as like, hey, here's the here's the paradox that it sounds like you're advocating for. And you tell me if it's a paradox or if it's not really a paradox. And maybe we are looking for those specific people. The same personality traits that go along with that paranoia and asking all the questions and being very, really, it's, it's very process driven. Um, have I gone through my mental checklist of what needs to have or my actual physical checklist of what needs to be accounted for in any situation that most great PMs, at least in my experience, share? Um, often it's challenging to find those same people who will do that consistently, who also have the, I mean, it's not necessarily creativity. Um, I think you can still be very creative working in those constructs, but I guess the ingenuity to think of, okay, here's how we should improve process or here's how I want to tweak the process or, um, kind of some of that, um, kind of putting, putting puzzle pieces together in a different way than they did before. Do you see that as a, like, we're trying to thread a needle to find the right type of people um, who kind of share both of those skill sets? Is there any conflict there or is there, is that not uh, kind of in conflict? Yeah. I mean, I would say it is often in conflict. Um, And I don't know if I said it earlier, but my mindset, like to the owner operators out there, the entrepreneurs, the people who built their agency, even if it wasn't, you know, if you, even if you're not the founder, but you're one of those founding partners that built it up, the senior PM that you want to hire, maybe not your first PM, but that senior PM, when you get to that, that stage, you're looking for younger you. Because I think what you're saying there, and again, this is like maybe not the majority of the people in the talent pool, but if you're looking for a younger you, you probably are that person who was a little paranoid building a business. What happens if it all you, you hire your first three employees and you're like, I have payroll and like anything I do will impact their livelihood and anything you know, will impact like these client relationships that we've like are foundational to the business. Like it's, it's almost like understanding the gravity of what might happen and what that impact is. Um, and you're the person probably who was like, let me tell everyone I know about what I do, like the, the like grow the business, like make the deals, like tell people the story of we're great and you should hire us and let's like get all this business under our belt. So I would say first and foremost, you might be looking for yourself in that regard. And I think that's where it's like not in conflict, but I also don't think it's the norm. Hmm. The other thing I'm going to say is probably controversial, especially coming from me, but I would say in lieu of having somebody who is kind of both and has managed that tension and that conflict between those two mindsets, in lieu of that, I would actually go for uh, like some of these, the, the more human communicative and business side of things. So actually, I think a good way to illustrate the paranoia thing is exactly by talking about like the business mindset thing, because it's not necessarily like sky is falling, chicken little, everything could go wrong. I think it's understanding that things don't go wrong in isolation and the impact is actually broader. So rather than looking at something that's a component, like a project, and it's like, I just need to deliver this one thing, I need to keep it on the rails, little marble rolling down a rail, uh, it's understanding the bigger picture that if this project goes over, then the next project can't start. Or if this project goes over budget, then, you know, some people are going to like, we might have to cut salaries eventually, right? And the paranoia is the impact more than it is something could happen. Anything could happen. Of course, anything could happen. Recognizing that is the first step. 
The second one is like, what is that impact and why is it so important? And I think that's what makes it paranoia versus worry. Because you have this paranoia where like, oh, I just saw that metric tick down. Like business owners are going to be like, I got to do something about that because like that could be the beginning of the end. Um, and it's just a mindset that keeps businesses um, competitive. And I'm sure it's a balance to like keep it a healthy thing and not like an unhealthy paranoia. Like, but I do think it's about understanding the business impact of things that go wrong and needing to think about that. And then what I'd say yeah. is if you get people who can like think in a bit and think in business terms, like, and I'm not talking about MBA, so understand how businesses work, but think in business and business terms in terms of like, we grew this organization from nothing and it matters the way we run it. And then you get someone who can like present and tell a story and, and, and spin a yarn, you know, not necessarily like, you know, the best, um, you know, Dragon's Den, Shark Tank pitcher in the world, but someone who can like, who, who communicates in stories in human ways that are relatable and have a willingness to learn. So those are my top three, business mindset, ability to present and tell a story and a willingness to learn. You can kind of get the other things too, because <clears throat> I think if you want to, not saying that process, uh, a process mindset is easy to train, um, but in my experience, it's a lot easier to train that direction than to go the other direction, which is like if somebody just has low emotional intelligence or just isn't somebody who like communicates stories in relatable ways, we just don't get the business. I think those are harder things to train um, versus going the other way where you have someone. And that's why coming back to that account manager example, right? Where um, honestly, I have I have a lot of account managers come through DPM school because they're like, well, listen, we are becoming a hybrid and or someone has recognized that I've got the skills that if I just add project management into that, I will become the senior project manager that is like growing the business instead of an account manager that's, you know, maybe like in isolation managing a couple of accounts, um, but still like at odds or like in, in this tension with the sort of delivery side of things. Right, right. That makes sense. Well, we dug into a lot here. Um, I think just uh, walking through what makes some of the characteristics here of, uh, of great PMs is helpful. And even just that finding that balance, um, really putting the emphasis on their business acumen, um, every bit as much as, um, the project management experience is helpful. So I appreciate making time to, to come in and teach us here, Galen. Thanks for, uh, joining. Is there any place we should point people? Uh, I know you mentioned most of the links here at the very beginning, but anywhere else, um, that we had to point people. Yeah, let, let me make this really specific, actually, because I think it's I think it's relevant. Um, so if you're running an agency where you've got great account managers that and you're thinking about that next step with project management, um, check out our training offerings. Um, head over to the DPM.com. Uh, we've got our Mastering Digital Project Management course. And I should say that it's not necessarily just for project managers. It is, but it's also a great way to get somebody else on your team who is not a project manager sensible to the art of project management so that they can use that in their job to just deliver more value and make a bigger impact on the business and kind of understand the mechanics of how projects are delivered and why it's important. So I think it's a really good opportunity for, for those folks to, to, to get trained in. And also if you hired somebody and you're like, listen, I hired the senior PM who kind of like, you know, has PM background, but doesn't feel like they ever got any formal training. Um, that's a good opportunity as well. So if you've hired for that business mindset and you've hired for that sort of communication mindset um, and they're like, cool, I'm not really like that process driven. I don't know all the ins and outs of like writing a statement of work. Um, like it's a great course for that as well. So head over to the dpm.com. And if you're just interested in the way we think uh, and this model in our community, then, um, you know, follow us on Instagram uh, at the digital PM. Uh, we've got a lot of fun stuff going on most of the time. Cool. 
We'll wrap up there. Thanks, Galen. Awesome. Thanks.